Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I am Michael Matt coming to you from the rooftops of Rome, and we are honored today to be here with His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Your Excellency, welcome. Thank you for being here today. You're yeah, welcome. Now, I want to. I was hoping to to prevail on you a little bit. To um, I I don't know if you realize this. I suspect you you do know this that many people in in my country back in the states um, have a tremendous uh, amount of hope for the work that you're doing. And I know you're not looking for that sort of attention or uh, praise, but it just is the reality because the situation in the church is so desperate at the moment. And you seem to be one who's very concerned about the little people, about the people who are at home and homeschooling their children and going through a very difficult time in the church. And so what I hoped I could start out with this evening is, um, I would like, I'd like our viewers to get to know a little bit more about you than what they see in articles and in books and so forth. We're going to talk about your new book in a moment. But I wonder if you could tell me, what, what was it like for you as a, as a child growing up um, in the, behind the Iron Curtain? What, what was that like? Yes, uh, I consider this as one of the greatest gifts of the Lord, that I grew up first in a deeply Catholic family and in the persecution time in the clandestine church. Mm -hmm. This um, marks you all your life and gives you really a, a spiritual strength to have lived in a situation of persecution. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I had parents who resisted this uh, ideology and indeed when my parents were activists of the underground church they helped to organize in the Ural Mountains in a so difficult time where they were deported and repressed after the Second World War for forced labor and uh, close to, to death danger, mm -hmm. my both parents, because of, the, uh, of these um, situations of starvation, of cold, of forced labor. But the Catholic faith gave them really the strength mm -hmm. to survive. Mm -hmm. And so this they transmitted me. So my first memories in my life are the prayers. Mm. This is my first memory. I was praying with the parents. And so I really had the, this happiness to grow up in a domestic church. Mm -hmm. Even when there were no priests for, for sometimes for a long period, maybe one year or more, in the Ural Mountains and later in Kyrgyzstan, in Central Asia, where I was born. My parents always uh, uh, organized prayer meetings, secretly of course. Mm -hmm. And the Sundays, we had a really a domestic church. We sanctified the, the, the Sunday together. Uh, my siblings, we were four, and uh, the parents with prayers, we sanctified the Sunday with spiritual communion because there were no priests. Mm -hmm. We read the text of the Mass. Let me interrupt you there. There were no priests. So when did you? See, how often did you see a priest? It it depends. It mm -hmm. depended on their availability. Mm -hmm. There were some priests were in prison. Some priests were under house domestic arrest, so they could flee sometimes and come. Some priests were simply forbidden, they were free but forbidden to do any pastoral work, mm -hmm. so they could. So it could happen that maybe twice a year, 
They came up raised secretly at once, without announcing, because it was dangerous. The, the KGB system was mm -hmm. very effective, mm -hmm. so you could not write or phone. And so we, we are, were always ready to uh, receive a priest. Mm -hmm. And these, uh, these moments were so uh, special moments of blessings. Mm -hmm. I remember this. And then all the night the priest heard confession. And then in the morning started to celebrate Holy Mass. S slow, uh, uh, in, in a silence because, because there could be uh, someone who, who could hear. Mm -hmm. So we were really in such a, it was a catacomb, mm -hmm. but filled with much graces, mm -hmm. with blessings. This is my, my memory my, uh, of the, my childhood, mm -hmm. where, where I lived. So, and then we got the catechism instructions from my mother, mm -hmm. old, good old German catechism mm -hmm. written still in this Gothic, Gothic alphabet. Uh, from the 19th century, and then the biblical stories my mother uh, was reading us. It's a beautiful old German book with all the biblical stories, with beautiful pictures. Mm -hmm. So and so we got from the the earliest age, I got a biblical instruction, mm -hmm. a catechetical instruction from my mother and father also. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> And this is so important <clears throat> that, that I will stress this now in our difficult time and to encourage uh, young families to do this, mm -hmm. to transmit their children, their first teachers of the Catholic faith, mm -hmm. of the Catholic faith should be the parents. It's really interesting because there's a parallel between what was happening in the States with us in the underground church, which was the traditional Catholic church. Now, I seem to re recall that you received your first Holy Communion in secret. Is this true? Yes. And how did that work? A priest came to town and then... No, we, it was half secretly because we were in Estonia, then moved from uh, Central Asia to Estonia, and there was a church opened uh, by the regime, and the priest, he was allowed to work. It's a holy priest, really. He was a holy man, confessor of faith, a Latvian Capuchin priest, and he instructed us children. First, I got the catechism preparation in my, at home mm -hmm. already. I was, but he, and he was forbidden by the government to deal with children, mm -hmm. because only with adults from 18 age, mm -hmm. uh, but we were children. And so he did this in his room, where he lived. After Mass, we gathered there, in his room, and there uh, he gave us uh, more concrete instructions. And then, when it was Mass, uh, it was really a danger, but it was forbidden for children. But even so, the church was open, but we made, I made my Holy Communion in this church. I remember very well, even I could go to the altar, kneel there, and he gave me, the other children, small group, First Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. What year was this? It was, I was 10 years old, okay. in, in 71, okay. probably, or 9. So in this age, mm -hmm. 70, 71, 9, or I was 9 or 10 years old, mm -hmm. probably 9. And so, uh, but my, my parents, it was a risk, because at Mass behind, there were sometimes spies from the Secret Service. 
to observe and then to note the people. But since we were from a long distance, we, our family, we had to travel the, the longest distance to the church. Mm -hmm. All the other families, they were from this town. We were sort of 70 miles. More 70 than, miles? 70 miles wow. we had to drive wow. by, with the train. Mm -hmm. And maybe this was our protection because in this city we were not, we were not known. Mm -hmm. So the local uh, spies did not know us, mm -hmm. and so they got protected us that I could receive Holy Communion and that Isn't my parents did not receive punishment mm -hmm. for this. It must be very strange then for you to hear that, it, like for example in the United States where the FBI now is bringing, bringing agents yes. into churches yes. once again. You agents, know. this was in my time mm -hmm. in the Soviet Union, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, another question I have, I'm just struck by the similarity because, for example, I, had to, I learned how to serve Mass in a basement chapel, mm -hmm. one of these underground chapels, yes. and I received my, my uh, confirmation from Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. Yes. Um, and it was all very secret and very mm -hmm. quiet because people could get in big trouble. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, because when I, when I uh, received my confirmation, I chose the name Athanasius, oh, St. Athanasius. Beautiful. And it had a lot to do with uh, a book by Bishop uh, Rudolf Graeber yes. from Regensburg, yes. Athanasius in the Church of Our Time. I yes. Think. And I was just curious, because I understand that you chose the name Athanasius for your religious name. What was... I, I did not chose this You didn't choose no, it? No, oh, at okay. all. Why was that It was for me the greatest surprise. Oh. I never thought in Athanasius. I was baptized Antonius right. of Padua. Uh, and when I was uh, made my religious profession, we, we had to receive a new name. And in my time, uh, the superiors uh, uh, proposed us that we can propose to the superior three names, mm -hmm. and then the superior will choose from these three names. And I answered, I have no proposals. I did not propose any name. And answered, I leave this to the decision to the superior. And then during the celebration, he said to me, now you will be called Brother Athanasius. I never dreamed in this wow. name. I was wow. a young religious man. I never thought on this name. Mm -hmm. It could be providentially, Your Excellency. It, may be, uh, it was not my choice. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things may not be your choice as you move forward now defending the truth. So just to, I'll, I'll go on to the, uh, something more current, but to finish up the section about your childhood, um, does that influence them? Because you've, you've been on the record as saying mm -hmm. it may be time to go to underground churches mm -hmm. to continue to just to, um, to preserve mm -hmm. the faith. Um, so having sort of grown up in that situation, does that influence your, your recommendation to people that if they start taking the mass away from us, traditional Latin mm -hmm. mass away from us, that we may have to go back to that sort of thing? Is that... Yes, I think uh, if, if there is no other alternative, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, then we can go, and because the aim is not to to create a new parallel or underground church, mm -hmm. the aim is to simply to transmit to the next generations the, one of the greatest treasures, patrimonies of our Holy Mother Church. This is an obligation even for us mm -hmm. that it will be not lost. And therefore, when I would say such a, a comparison, when a bad father locks the treasure or food mm -hmm. in his house and he has many children, 
this is unjust. Mm -hmm. uh, or gives uh, a second quality food, and a good, proven food is locked. Mm -hmm. Then I think the the elder uh, children who are already grown, they can, without uh, the permission of the father, mm -hmm. go to this store and take this good food and give to the to the little ones mm -hmm. who are to, to give to transmit this. Mm -hmm. This is of course only a comparison. Yeah. But I think and we will do this for the sake for the entire family. Uh, it could be formally a kind of disobedience, but uh, we basically obey mm -hmm. uh, for the sake and for the good of the entire community, mm -hmm. of the entire family, because it is not ours, mm -hmm. it is from the Church. Mm -hmm. And the Pope is not the owner uh, of this mm -hmm. treasure. He is only an administrator of this treasure of the traditional liturgy, and this cannot be locked, because, because of the constant, uninterrupted use and fruitful and blessed use mm -hmm of the traditional liturgy, I say, without interruption, almost the same form, the same prayers, since at least a millennium. Mm -hmm. And so all the generations of saints whom we know, our, our forefathers, um, were <coughs> got this spiritual nourishment and grew up. Mm -hmm. And it, it brought so many fruits. And, and therefore, uh, we we cannot lock down this treasure, and the Pope uh, is abusing his power, or the bishops, in locking down up this. And therefore, we have, we do, we shall do this with love for the Church, mm -hmm. not with a kind of rebellion mm -hmm. or or sedevacantist uh, tendencies. Mm -hmm or of sectarian. No, we are from the Church. We are children of the Church. We do this for the love of our Holy Mother Church, who is currently, in a relatively short time, um, chained uh, by the High Clergy. Mm -hmm. And so we will a little bit free our Mother Church from these chains and transmit this treasure of our Mother Church, of the liturgy, to the next generations. Mm -hmm. Can you say something about the fact that if we do have to resort to an extraordinary means like you're referring here today, this does not mean that it's permanent. In other words, when I just a moment ago said that I learned to serve the Latin Mass mm -hmm. as a little boy mm -hmm. in the basement of my father's mm -hmm. home at a, at a home altar, mm -hmm. I never would have believed that the day was coming where I would be, I would be, uh, you know, hearing mass in the Chart Cathedral mm -hmm. offered by Cardinal Muller or whoever it would be, uh, even you, yourself mm -hmm. uh, offered the mass on the Chart pilgrimage. I myself got married in 1996 with a traditional Latin nuptial mass. Mm -hmm. When I was a child, no one thought, humanly speaking, no one ever expected things mm -hmm. to improve to that extent. So I'm, I'm assuming that when you say it may be necessary to go into a, a, an underground church, nobody's suggesting forever. Mm -hmm. It's until until our Lord yes. sees ways to, to yes. intervene. Exactly. It is only a temporal uh, solution, of mm -hmm. course, and uh, because the church is divine, and the Roman church is the mother and teacher of all churches, and will again uh, recover 
this treasure, the popes will again free this treasure and they will celebrate. It is, I'm sure, without doubts, that the future popes will themselves celebrate again this beauty and splendor of the Roman liturgy in the Basilica of St. Peter mm -hmm. and, and again transmit this to the next generations. You know, it's so interesting. Just today, a few hours ago, we came out of the Samoran Pontifical Pilgrimage mm -hmm. here. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I've, I've walked that pilgrimage once or mm -hmm. twice early on, and we had a beautiful traditional Latin Mass mm -hmm. at the altar of the chair. Mm -hmm. And I think you as a pastor must be able to appreciate how incredibly frustrating it is that in the middle of this synod all about inclusion and mm -hmm. equity, we all stood in there today and had a prayer service and there's an empty altar beneath mm -hmm. the altar of the chair that we are not allowed to use for a traditional Latin Mass. And many people, I think, are just, it breaks their heart and it makes them angry and, and they're understandably ready to just move away from all of it. Mm -hmm. What can you say to people who see something like this yes. today and their frustration is just... Yes. It's understandable, <clears throat> the, the sadness mm -hmm. and the frustration of people, but as Catholics, we have always to... We must always have a supernatural vision and hope mm -hmm. and the conviction that Christ is uh, the head of the Church. The Church is in the almighty hands of Christ. Even this, this phenomenon here in the Vatican, as you describe the empty altar, it is a short phen phenomenon, short, mm -hmm. temporarily only. And therefore we have to offer to the Lord this, it's a suffering mm -hmm. for the people to mm -hmm. see this. Mm -hmm. These sufferings as a sacrifice of, of petition that the Lord may intervene and give us again the beauty of the Holy Mass in, in this, at this altar, mm -hmm. in the Basilica of St. Peter. Mm -hmm. You said something the other evening at the launch of your, of your new book, Credo, Compendium of Catholic Faith, which I want to ask you about in a few moments. But you said something that touched many of us deeply and I think it really was a surprise to the Reuters reporter who you were speaking to. He asked you a question. And you said, I'm going to paraphrase, I hope I get a quote, mm -hmm. but you said, I have never prayed for anyone in my entire life as much as I have prayed for Pope mm -hmm. Francis. And that struck me deeply because, again, we're all human, especially lay people. We get very frustrated mm -hmm. when we're trying to raise children. and It seems like the Pope is working against us. Mm -hmm. And that brought tears to my eyes when you said that because it re reminded us, it reminded me of the supernatural solution that, the, the, uh, the, that you're speaking about, that we have to have the faith, and even when it's very difficult. Is it difficult for you to just to, to continue to pray for Pope Francis and, 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 and just continue to hang in there, uh, despite the fact you know there's an, there's an agenda to undermine the church? How do you do that? I would say it's not difficult because I believe, I try to believe in the power of the prayer first. And uh, I'm simply, you know, now more overwhelmed with pity for this soul of Pope Francis. Imagine, imagining that he must meet the judge, God, maybe soon. We are all already a, have a certain age. No one knows when God will call us from this and in such an age. He must seriously think that he must give account to God the judge. And, and this frightens me mm -hmm. for him. And this fills me with really compassion. 
for his soul, when we have to have love for all. This is how the new commandment Christ gave us. I gave you a new commandment. Love one another. And since he is in kind of our, the father of our family, the Catholic family, or as a bishop, he is my elder brother. Mm. He is not my boss, he is my elder brother. Mm. And when you have really this vision that you have a brother who is really in danger mm. of his soul and who, who must uh, give account, tremendously account, mm. even I am f afraid to give account of my life as a bishop before the judgment of God. Mm -hmm. And when I am observing what Fra Pope Francis did with his pontificate, uh, did not use this sacred office to strengthen the faith, but did the contrary, to spread ambiguity and to adapt the, 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 Catholic, the life of the Catholic Church to the demands of this world. Mm -hmm of the agenda of the totalitarian um, ideologies in the world. And this fills me with pity and with compassion, first of all. Not with anger, but more with compassion. And therefore my prayer for him is not difficult. I am really even some way increasing my prayer for him, asking people pray for his true conversion. And when we really love someone sincerely, mm -hmm. even we have to love even our enemies, mm -hmm. but he is not my enemy, he, he is the father, the spiritual father of the mm -hmm. church as a pope, and as a bishop he is my elder brother. And so, and therefore I have to, to pray for him and to wish him from all my heart a deep, authentic conversion, as Peter had, again, to confirm his brethren with all the clarity mm -hmm. of Peter and his successors. And it would seem that it would follow from what you just said, that in praying for the Pope, we're giving him the time needed to respond to God's grace, potentially. Mm -hmm. I think I've asked you this before, in the case of uh, Pope John XXII, uh, when he espoused heresy. Uh, and no one, no one at the time that I'm aware of, no historians have ever said that he lost his office mm -hmm. in that moment. So one would presume there were many bishops like yourself, traditional Catholics at the time, who would have been praying for his conversion. Mm -hmm. Rather than denouncing him as, a, as an anti-pope, mm -hmm. they prayed for him. And in God's providence, John XXII comes back He's to converted. an authentic conversion. So we should be praying for, yes. for, for that. This is a historical example, Pope. John the Twenty Second really converted, repented, mm. seriously, and retracted his his heresy, mm. which he spread, denying the beatific vision mm -hmm. um, before the coming of Christ. And so um, we have to all the church to, in some way, I I am seeing Pope Francis as he's in a spiritual prison, as Peter the first pope was in prison imprisoned by Herod, and then the, all, the entire church prayed for him. It is written in the Acts of the Apostles. The entire church prayed for Peter, who was in chains. And then God sent the angel, and he freed him from the chains. And so, today Pope Francis is in spiritual prison, 
in chains, he is imprisoned by this, by his um, agenda and his policy of adapting the church to the to the spirit of the world and to the current uh, homosexual ideology and to the current protestantization of the life of the church and uh, he is doing this uh, kind of as a prisoner and and he probably he does not is this not aware probably of this of the gravity of his actions of betraying his really sacred divine mission of any pope to be the vicar of Christ who is the truth the incarnate truth and who says your word must be yes or not Christ never spoke ambiguous and he even gave his life for the truth therefore he said ah, before Pilate I came to give uh, witness for the truth and so did the apostles and the saints and therefore we have to make I would say to proclaim a worldwide crusade of prayers for freeing Pope Francis from the spiritual chains that he again will assume uh, or I mean he has the office of Peter but to exercise fully and uh, the access the office of Peter. Now, is it possible that what we're seeing now, is it possible for a pope to be used by God as part of a chastisement? Could we be living through a chastisement that's coming from the top of the, the church all the way down, a spiritual chastisement? There is a saying in the tradition, maybe you know this, uh, that uh, a traditional saying, that there are three kinds of popes. Popes who are um, a gift of God, really a gift of God. Popes who are a permission of God only. God permits their existence and their service. And popes who are a punishment. This is a traditional saying. Really? Yes. Uh, some some say this Vincent of Lerin, but I, I did not found the exact fa source. But it is it was transmitted in tradition such a saying, mm -hmm. and therefore it could be. But I think God permitted this pontificate, this tremendously uh, confusing, ambiguous pontificate. Uh, I think this is never have been has been in the church such a confusion by a pope. Mm -hmm. I mean. It's such a long time as this pontificate, and God permits this for a greater good. First, to strengthen ourselves, that we will really be more rooted in the faith, that our faith depends not on, on the Pope, our faith depends on Christ. Mm -hmm. We promised our fidelity, our baptismal vows, we gave not to a Pope, we gave it to Christ. So we have to remind this again, to recall this. So we made this profession of faith to Christ and that we have not to... The Pope is only a servant. Servus servorum Dei, it is called. Servant of the servants of God. He is not uh, the Lord of our faith. He is the servant of our faith. 
and therefore we know the faith we have to and then to in a difficult time of struggles and trials God gives this in order to purify our faith mm -hmm. to strengthen it and this is also a chance for us and for the bishops and then also but we are a family and when in a family in a temporarily the head is not good functioning then the rest of the body must give him the blood to to, uh, to circulate again and these are the faithful they must give an, again this supernatural energy of their prayers and sacrifices to come to help to the head who is in trouble who is in need or who is obfuscated temporarily so we have to be a one family and look at this and any trial and, and of God is, has always an aim by God to I think that after this crisis the church will be more purified and then the future popes will without doubt state dogmatically ex cathedra all the clarity which now is, is confused mm -hmm. and denied or in ambiguity left since the Vatican Council we have some topics and issues uh, in, the, in the Catholic faith which, which are left in, in ambiguity and now reach the culmination, the, the peak with this pontificate and the Church will without that make clarity mm -hmm. as the Church did in the Council of Nicaea in the Council of Trent and so the Church will do this again after this crisis. I want to set up uh, for our final segment of our interview to talk about your book, but I have two questions that I, I wanted to um, ask you to address, and that is the question of scandal. First of all, um, when you think about how much talk there has been during the Synod about uh, blessing gay unions, whether they're going to do it, whether they're not going to do it, it seems to have gotten lost in the shuffle what the Pope is not saying, and that is the scandal of people in a homosexual relationship living together because the Catholic Church keeps saying it's not going to be marriage, so they can't be married, and yet they're living together in sin, at mm -hmm. the very least, mm -hmm. uh, scandal is there. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, doesn't that send a message throughout the entire world to all the heterosexual, especially young people, that if the Pope himself is deliberating over whether or not to bless gay unions, he must have no problem with cohabitation heterosexually because homosexuality is so much worse as in the Christ to heaven to vengeance. What kind of a message and scandal does that send out to the entire world, heterosexually as well, especially mm -hmm. to young people? Yes, uh, I am agreeing with your statement and this is the case, mm -hmm. unfortunately, that even already a, a homosexual couple itself is giving um, um, a message that to promote basically homosexuality and we have to mm -hmm. homosexual activity which, which is against nature against reason against the will of God basically mm -hmm. and the, and what is against the will of God and against nature is harming profoundly this person so they are really their life never they they are harming one another and the fact to join already because they are attracted by homo erotics mm -hmm. and this is against nature this is um, troubling the nature and so they are increasing this 
this order by joining and to say and to give a blessing it's to say that okay it's okay that you are promoting by your lifestyle uh, this agenda of homosexuality which is really against humanity against nature and uh, and therefore this is a grave irresponsibility of the of the, of the hierarchy to uh, to even remotely promote this lifestyle and this now already totalitarian planetarian i would say ideology and and then this also harmful and cruel against these these two persons because you will by blessing encourage them to continue mm -hmm. uh, to sin and this in this way it is uh, de facto as a blessing for sin and for a very grievous sin mm -hmm. which as you said is 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 crying to heaven for vengeance and uh, this is really i repeat harming these two people mm -hmm. these two persons we have to help them to separate first as a first to be a christian you cannot be you cannot promote and make propaganda this is a propaganda mm -hmm. And you have, we will help you, of course, with love and discretion, but not as a couple. Mm. Uh, we can, you can, you can receive a blessing as any Catholic go to the church and, and receives in the mass a blessing, mm. or a priest. And so we have to distinguish these. There is much confusion, and um, therefore, the church, on the contrary, must give a message, a synod to disencourage and these couples to live together mm. and say we, we ask you when you want to be a good catholic that you must separate mm. the same as you mentioned for normal uh, i mean normal couples uh, of different sexes when for example a man and a woman live together in concubinage mm. let us say in sin or they came and said, please give us a blessing because, because we are living together. But you are not husband and wife. Right. It's the same. You cannot give a blessing for them. So we, you encourage or adultery or fornication in this case. Mm. And the same, it's encouraging fornication against nature in the case of um, um, same-sex couples. Mm -hmm. So do you accept this distinction that, that, that the Holy Father continues to make we, we are not talking about marriage. We, we believe marriage is between one man and one woman, but we want to bless, we may bless uh, gay unions. That seems like almost in this case, morally speaking, a distinction without a difference, because we're still talking about living together in sin. So I don't know, is that a, is that a ruse of some sort when they make this, we're not talking about marriage, we don't, we, we don't believe in gay marriage. Is that just to sort of fool us a little bit? This is uh, a deception. Mm -hmm. This is uh, a cunning method. Because we are not little children, mm -hmm. we know that this is uh, living together uh, to exercise their homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they would not join. They right. are joined because of homosexual attraction. Mm -hmm. As I repeat, the same as, as uh, let us say, a man and a woman who are not married, who are not husband and wife, will come in and ask a blessing. Say, "Oh, we are not a marriage. Mm -hmm. Give us simply a blessing for our cohabitation." It would be the same. Yeah. So encouraging them to sin and to invoke the God's blessing. This is blasphemy. To invoke yeah. God's blessing to a situation of sin. Mm. 
it is I consider a blasphemy, sacrilege. Mm -hmm. Which I know you have a you have a busy schedule, so I, I can't. I would love to sit here and ask you mm -hmm. question after question, but we can't do that. And I want to set up a little bit um, to talk about your new book. Um, but I just wanted to, in talking to, in being in the press hall, the Vatican press conferences this week. Um, when I came over here, when I was reading about the synod on synodality and what they were planning, you have the impression of very brilliant theologians who are intentionally subverting doctrine and. But when you see them in action, uh, it's not Hans Kuhn, it's not Schillebeeks, it's, it's, it's not Charlie Curran and, you know, mm. uh, the, the, the Rahners of the world. It seems like they're what we call in the States lightweights. They don't seem to know what the church, what the doctrine and the dogma actually is. And so, for example, I went and I approached one of the cardinals after the press conference and I said, is anyone at this synod informing our non-Catholic synodal partners, dialogue partners, that it's still necessary to become a Catholic. Is it still necessary to become a Catholic? And he said, "Well, no. We don't proselytize. We don't. You know, we we we, uh, we hope that the church will grow by attraction." He said. But the, what I wanted to ask you about was he was such a nice man. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't like being aggressive against. He's a very nice, charitable seeming man. He just doesn't seem to know what the point and purpose of the church is. Yes, I think this is a con maybe they know. That I, I I assume that. A priest and a bishop had a theological studies, mm -hmm. but uh, defective. I mean, after the council, this is the problem of our time. Since the council, there were uh, bombs, um, time bombs, put there with ambiguity, mm -hmm. and the deepest ambiguity is the relativism, uh, the undermining of the uniqueness of the Catholic Church is the only one way. This willed by God for all men to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. There is no other way. And this was undermined even already by some texts of the Second Vatican Council, uh, not directly, but, but in, implicitly with ambiguous formulations, mm -hmm. as the, 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 the religious liberty saying that man has a natural right, any person, uh, to not to be impeded uh, to choice and to spread, to exercise the religion of his choice, mm -hmm. of his conscience. But it can be erroneous conscience and also a choice to spread idolatry and satan uh, satanic cults. Mm -hmm. It's also a religion today. And so, and therefore, it is in this way when you have a natural right from your nature. Uh, in this case, the Catholic Church is put in the same level in this formulation, and any human person has the same natural right, not only a civil right, but natural right, the religion of his conscience. So there is included Catholic Church, paganism, and so on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this is the, the, the deepest root of our current confusion, and the example you gave of this cardinal, this is there. Mm -hmm. This formulation gives, opens the door, that when it, when it is really rooted in your nature, mm -hmm. that you can unimpededly uh, spread an exercise and spread even a blasphemous cult mm -hmm. religion, and without 
uh, even though it was stated in the in previous number, the Catholic Church is the only one true religion and so on, mm -hmm. but in the next formulation with this is undermined. Mm -hmm. And it, the consequences we had these past 60 years with the interreligious meetings, with the uh, ecumenical mm -hmm. meetings where the message was given exteriorly uh, to all that we are simply walking together. Mm -hmm to the same aim. Indefinitely. It was given the message with Assisi meetings, with mm -hmm. the continuous interreligious meetings, with ecumenical prayers, for which we pray. We pray for unity, they say. Mm -hmm. But together, Catholic priest, past, uh, Protestant pastor, mm -hmm. they say they pray only for unity. But yeah. for which unity? Right. They had to pray for the Catholic unity, mm -hmm. not simply for a unity. And this is our case, which we already had in the practice of the Church, these ambiguous ecumenism and ambiguous anti-religious meetings and rooted in this ambiguous statement of the Vatican Council on religious freedom mm -hmm. or on the goodness of other religions, it, is, it gave the root and it opened the door mm -hmm. uh, to such, uh, um, um, how do you say, phenomenons and and statements, as you mentioned, of this cardinal, mm -hmm. that we do not nothing, no, we don't proclaim now more the faith, but only we live and uh, shall be attracted. Mm -hmm. But Christ did not say such. Mm -hmm. He said, "Go and preach, not go and and attract people. Be attractive. Yeah. Be attractive only. <laughs> this is contrary to the gospel and mm -hmm. to the divine command of God. Mm -hmm. And if the apostle would simply sit down there in their rooms." in Jerusalem or where they were, and simply wait, let us be attractive and did not preach. Right. We would not be today Christians. Mm -hmm. We would not have martyrs. No. Right. And so this statement of this cardinal, it's, it's completely against the gospel, against the entire understanding and, and, um, and action of the church throughout the history. Mm -hmm. would, you, would you say that this event, especially when they really push the ecumenical thing, the synodal thing, which they say came out of the ecumenical movement, was it formally condemned by Mortalium Animos, would you say, by Pope Pius XI? Yes, it was condemned. Mm -hmm. And all the Church never allowed in the, in the past, since the apostolic times. Mm -hmm. Even St. John, the Apostle, who was the, the, the disciple of love, who always wrote about the love, St. John the Apostle, mm -hmm. in his letter, one of his letters, he says, uh, if someone denies Christ and teaches another teaching, you even not you must not greet him. Imagine, the disciple of love, of charity. Wow. Yeah. Even not greet him, not speaking about praying together with mm -hmm. him for for a union, mm -hmm. for a unity, and so and the same did all the the apostles. This is our example, mm -hmm. and the church fathers. All the all the time, and all the popes, until Vatican II, mm -hmm. when they changed, uh, basically the approach, and uh, made these statements which were vague. Mm -hmm. they, they keep saying that that we're united in our baptism, and that everything else is not as important as that, mm -hmm. which to me brings up the question immediately. Well, what about the Eucharist? If 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 we're talking to Protestants who do not believe that Christ is truly present in the Eucharist, 
that's quite a division. But they, they've, they've been saying it all week in the press hall here. It doesn't matter. Baptism is the only thing. That's what unites us. The church never spoke so. Mm -hmm. uh, St. Paul says, one Lord, one baptism, one faith. Mm -hmm. So we have not one faith. And they deny the truth, the full truth of the Eucharist, mm -hmm. the real presence, the transubstantiation. Then we cannot speak, we have the, f the same faith. It's against what the Holy Scripture says us. Mm -hmm. And it, I repeat, the Church never accepted this approach, that only baptism. Mm -hmm. The Church demanded the, the profession of the fullness of faith, therefore mm -hmm. gave us the, the symbol of faith, mm -hmm. which we proclaim every Sunday with concrete points. And then when and therefore the Church expelled heretics from the community. Mm -hmm. Even St. Paul already expelled them. And, and so, because they were contaminating uh, as a body, no? you infect the body with poison. Mm -hmm. And it's a spiritual poison that we have of the admonition. And Jesus Christ, our Lord himself said, when a brother is sinning, you admonish him personally. When he is not uh, hearing you, you, you take a, a, a witness, and he is not witnessing, hearing the witnesses and you, take the church, he said. And when he is not hearing the church, then he let him be for you a pagan. The, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are better, we, we, we will better follow our Lord and the apostles and all the times than this new invented so-called ecumenical or synodal methods. Mm -hmm. All of which, Your Excellency, brings me to my final point, which has to do with your book. And it's not just to um, to plug your book. You didn't ask me to plug your book. I I just think that, as especially as a father myself, a father of seven children, um, the catechetical instruction is so lacking now. And as we're talking this entire interview, we're basically talking about confusion coming from the top down. Nobody knows what to believe, especially the little people, especially families who are trying to to understand, and even if they do consult the Baltimore Catechism or the Council of Trent Catechism, there's so many things that are happening so rapidly with artificial intelligence and pornography and transgenderism that that catechism, even the old solid catechism, catechisms have not caught up have not, to what people are dealing with. Can you say something about your catechism here in our Credo, Compendium on the, of the Catholic Faith? Um, it, it must be that that lack of catechetical foundation and instruction that, that motivated you to, to, to write this important catechism. Can you say something about your motivation for it? Yes, first, it was not my idea, I repeat, to, to write this catechism. It came from lay people, from a family father. And this is, for me, really, I was impressed, and it's a joy for me, that in a time of crisis, of such doctrinal confusion, it was an appeal of a layman, of a father of family, mm -hmm. to a bishop, please give us a catechism. Mm -hmm. And then I accepted his appeal and, uh, and wrote this with the help of several good theologians also from different countries. And uh, I was, my intention then was to give really to the little ones, which are the faithful, mm -hmm. in this tremendous confusion of doctrine in our time, something concrete in their hand that they could use for themselves and then transmit to their children and also for seminarians, for example. And I included almost the, the 
all the topics uh, since the Council, which were formulated in an ambiguous manner. So I did not shy to address these points, and I did not present my own opinion. I tried to present the, the constant magisterium of the Church. I quoted popes, uh, I quoted even from the Acts of the Second Vatican Council, from the debates, discussions during the Council, between the Council Fathers, I quoted them, very precise, uh, solid uh, statements in, my, in, in the footnotes, for example, or in some of the texts also, and then the saints, the Church Fathers, and this gives, so this is a weight a greater weight of voices than only the last 50 years mm -hmm. of magisterium, which are in some way, I repeat, in some points not clear or not so, could not have this foundation. Because Of course, they say this is a, we have to explain this with a hermeneutic of continuity and so on, but it is not convincing. This always this hermeneutic of continuity. Yeah. We have to be honest. We cannot uh, uh, switch off our intellect and say this is okay. No, this is not okay. This is not. It states what is written. You cannot some statements simply reconcile with the constant two uh, thousand years tradition of the church. Only when you make, when you start to make intellectual acrobatics, but this is not honest, and so we have to give. But the, the fact itself that a statement is vague or ambiguous and needs thousand pages to to explain this, this fact already says this statement is something is wrong. It's never a church accepted in doctrinal statements which were give place to vagueness and ambiguity. Never. The Church avoided such, and therefore to give clear statements. And this is our problem since the Council and the, and the post-conciliar, not the entire Magisterium, thanks be to God, we had very clear, unambiguous statements of Paul VI, mm -hmm. in about Eucharist, about Humanae Vitae, and his credo of the people of God. We had this, this um, beautiful and clear encyclical Veritatis Splendor of Pope John Paul II mm. on morality, really, mm. it's a gift of clarity, mm -hmm. we had. But in other places, before the Council, the Church, the Popes, entirely in all their statements, avoided any um, ambiguity, mm. tried to avoid. And in the post-conciliar uh, magisterium, the popes gave clarity, thanks be to God, but together with some very clear statements, they also admitted and pronounced, unfortunately, some ambiguous statements, mm. which were not so, or made some actions like the interreligious meetings and so on, which right. gave a message of ambiguity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is just such an urgent thing right now because. Um, our, first of all, our children are, are hearing so many things, terrible things about scandals involving pedophilia with the priesthood and gay clergy and just the, the general apostasy, the great apostasy they're living through, the scandal of transsexualism. Little children shouldn't even hear anything about any of that, yes. and yet they hear it every day. So as parents, 
we have an obligation, the ends of marriage being procreation and education of children, to find a text like this, it seems to me, and to urgently begin to use it with our children because they're up against principalities and powers right now. And you've, you've done this in question and answer format, so I, and, and you dedicate it to mothers. I would imagine you could put this in the hands of mothers and fathers immediately to get to, get to work arming our children with catechetical instruction for what they face. Yes, this is my intention, and I hope it can be used. Of course, there are some sections which are more difficult. Let us say the section about Freemasonry. Mm -hmm. It's not so already apt for children, but later when they will grow, will adult, they can read. Mm -hmm. So the parents can choose sections, which are, there are sections very simple, mm -hmm. accessible for children or for, for adolescents and young people. And so they can choose sections, and then maybe priests and seminarians have other sections about the distinction of magisterium and so on, which are a little bit more, more difficult. But it is uh, a book where you can use, I think, for several categories okay. of faithful. Good. Well, Your Excellency, thank you so much. I will be promoting this with everything I can back home from the Remnant newspaper and Remnant TV. And again, I don't, and not only want to thank you for sitting with us this afternoon, but God bless you and thank you mm -hmm. for everything you're doing to shine the light of truth yeah. in a very difficult time. Well, welcome, and I want to give also to you my gratitude for your beautiful apostolate. As a layman, you are the voice also in some of the little ones in the church. And um, God bless you and your beautiful work for the Catholic faith and all people who are benefiting from your apostolate as a layman. May God bless you abundantly. Thank you so much, Francis.